The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like billionaire Warren Buffett. I don't know any other billionaires really. If there's any billionaires here at church today, just find me after church, we'll talk. But, but uh, let's just say Warren Buffett. The kingdom of heaven is like billionaire Warren Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, and he brings three employees into his office and he says to these three employees, the first one, who's this hotshot, up and coming, like new uh, employee, says, hey, I'm going to give you $15 million. All right, I want you to go and do something with your $15 million. Talks to the next employee that, that he brought in. It's this woman who works in the, in the mailroom, but she's going to get her MBA, and she's working uh, you know, for her MBA. And he says, I'm going to give you $6 million, and I want you to do something with this. Third person, mid-level manager, been working at Berkshire Hathaway a long time, says, I'm going to give you $3 million. Do something with this. He goes, I'm out of here. I'm going. Warren Buffett leaves. First guy, $15 million. He says, you know what? I'm going to take a really big risk. And even though only one in four of these actually works out, I'm going to invest in an app. And so he happens to invest in like BuzzFeed's mobile app, let's just say. And BuzzFeed is BuzzFeed. So, you know, it blows up. And he doubles his money. $15 million goes to $30 million. Great. The woman who is getting her MBA and working in the mailroom, she's like, you know what's hot right now? Brooklyn real estate. We all know that. So she's like, I'm going to buy a bunch of houses. She buys a bunch of houses, flips a couple places in Ditmas Park, doubles her money like that. The third guy, right? Third guy goes, I have $3 million. I've been working for Berkshire Hathaway a long time. I know Warren Buffett, he, he only invests in blue chips, and he doesn't like to take big risks. He's not a big tech guy. Oh, what am I going to do? Uh, you know, I have a family. I have a 401k. You know, I have to think of college funds. You know, I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to get this all messed up. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put this $3 million in my bank account. I'm going to do that. And when he comes back, I'm just going to give him that $3 million back. So Warren Buffett comes back. First guy goes, hey, I invested in the new BuzzFeed app. $15 million, turns to $30 million. And Buffett's like, amazing, great job. You're my new executive vice president. Next person, this woman, says, oh, I invested in a bunch of properties in Brooklyn. He was like, smart. And, uh, and I, I doubled the money. He's like, great. I'm paying for your MBA, and when you're done, you have a high-paying job with me. Wonderful. Thank you. Last guy's like, listen, I know how you invest. I know how you've made your billions. You've made your billions because you take these wise, wise, you make wise investments, and you wait, uh, you wait it out, and you, you're, you have these long-term plans, and, and I didn't want to do anything that was too risky, so I just put my $3 million in my bank account, but I have it here, and I'm giving it back to you. Here it is. And Buffett goes, you wicked, lazy man. He's like, your, your bank account doesn't even you know, have any interest. You should have put my money in like something. I would have got like 8% out of it, but you didn't even do that. You're fired. You are fired. Not only are you fired, but you have no severance. I'm, uh, I'm abolishing whatever 401k contributions we made to you. Uh, and whenever you apply for a job, whenever, I'm going to find out, and I'm going to make sure you don't get that job. This is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> this is a tough parable, right? This is a weird one. How many of you heard this before? How many of you heard this parable? parable of yeah, a lot of you guys have. Okay. All right, this is, um, you know, when I, we started this storyline series, I said, like, some of these parables are exactly what you think they are. They mean exactly what you think they mean. Some of them don't, right? And so I've been saying this whole time, this is the beginning. Like, what I say up here on stage today is just a suggestion, all right? And what we want to do is we want to go back, and we want to read through this scripture. We want to read this parable. We want to say, you know, what is God telling us in this? How is God working in scripture? That's what we want to do. That's how we're going to have growth. And so as we look at this parable today, 
we probably want to make sure that we, um, that we maybe take a look at some of the things that it might mean or some of the ways that it might speak to us, all right? I was doing my due diligence, reading up on blogs, checking commentaries and all the rest, and there was this high school kid, God bless him, said that this parable was all about him doing better in school. Good for him. And so, you know, that's, see what I mean? Like, God speaks to par- in different ways to different people through parables. So, uh, he said that, um, when you heard this, how many people heard this as like a, uh, being a good steward? Like, this is a good steward parable. I think this is the way that I heard it, too. I heard it that way quite a bit. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Like, when you really take a look at this parable, um, what I said is really true. The, the people who are investing their money are taking giant risks, like unwise risks, like really unwise risks. So I don't know if this is like a good steward parable or not. I don't know if this is a story about taking care of our money in smart ways or good ways because I don't think there would be any financial advisor who would tell us to do what those first two employees did. I don't think anybody would say that. So I don't know. I don't know. You know, I think we have to look at context again. Just like last week we looked at context, I think it's important for us to look at context this week too. All right? So if you were here last week, I said that uh, you know, the book of Matthew was written about 50 or 60 years after Jesus. Okay? So you have all these new churches, these young churches. And all these new young churches, they heard stories about Jesus. And they even talked to like James and Peter, people who were with Jesus. And uh, they read letters from Paul. And all of them are like, uh, Jesus is coming back. And I know we all feel like if we're Christian, if we grew up in that tradition, we believe that Jesus is coming back. But this early church, this young church, believed that Jesus was coming back in like a couple weeks. Like seriously, that's what they believed. So, you know, for them, you know, this parable is written and they're looking at it and they're like, okay, well, how do we live while we wait for Jesus to come back? Because Jesus is going to come back like super fast, really soon. And so they read it and they say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, bury myself in a hole and wait. I'm going to go out and take risks for God's kingdom. That's the way they would have read this. We should be really thankful they read it this way. We should be really thankful because they read it this way. I mean, we're here, right? They decided they weren't going to bury themselves in a hole. They were going to take some risks for God's kingdom. They were going to do good things. And now they're, today, there's like, what? Billions of people worshiping with us you know, in this world because they did that, right? So we're thankful that they would have read this. The early church would have read this parable in that context. So... How does this parable speak to us today in 2014? Can it still speak to us here in Brooklyn in the same way? Interesting question. But first I have to ask you a question. And the question that I have to ask you is what have you been given? What have you been given? Well, the present thing was nice, right? You're given a nice gift. What have you been given? I think some of us um, have been given a little bit of time, right? We have time. We live in New York, though, so not a lot of time, just a little time, right? Most of us are pretty healthy. We've been given our health. There's a few of us who aren't maybe all that healthy, but for the most part, we're doing well. We've been given health. We've been given some level of education, okay? In some way, in some capacity, we have that. We've been given a profession or a skill that we have. We've been given um, a, a place to live. Most of us have a place to live, right? Now, most of you are not happy about it because you're paying like $11,000 for a studio, but you have it, right? It's there. It's yours. We've been given this place. We've been given Brooklyn and all that Brooklyn has to offer, right? We've been given this. Okay, So we, we live and make our being here. And then we've been given this thing, and I don't know what it is. Uh, only you know what that is. This thing, this, this look, this way, this talent, something that makes us who we are. It makes us unique. It makes us us. 
And we've been given that, right? It's a good thing. Some of us have been given a whole lot, right? Some of us have like been given the key to the Barclays Center, right? Some of us have a couch and a dream. My guess is most of us have a couch and a dream. <laughs> I have, yeah, anyway. Some of us have been given a lot. Some of us have been given a little. But the question becomes... Or the question is, what have you been given? Okay, now, now what we've been given, if we're reading this parable the way that we're reading it, okay? Think about those things you've been given. Think about your life. Think about what you have. What Jesus is saying through this parable is that those things, if we are a part of the kingdom of heaven, the things that we have been given are making us rich. We are rich because of the things that we have been given. Okay, that's what it says. These talents that are talked about, these bag of, bags of gold, they are worth a lot. So for instance, um, you know, one talent was worth 15 years wages, okay? And not the wages of somebody like scraping by, like the wages of somebody doing really, really well, okay? That was one talent. To put it in another perspective, um, the Roman Empire. So at the time that this would have been written, the Roman Empire, the entire debt of the Roman Empire was 10 talents, all right, so the fact that um, we're, we have this story where people are given five talents, we're talking millions of dollars here. That's what we're talking, millions upon millions. So what Jesus is saying is when you are given something by God, because everything comes from the loving hand of God, when you are given something, all right, you are rich. You are rich beyond your wildest imagination. You are rich in God. Okay, that's what, that's what he's saying. So what have you been given? Now, this is what else that this parable tells us. This parable says that the thing that we have been given that makes us rich, we have it right here, right now, at this time, in this place, right here, and we have a tremendous responsibility to use these riches that we have to advance God's kingdom. So what are we going to do with what we've been given? That's the second question. What have we been given? What are we going to do with what we've been given? Here's what I think we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to do most of the time. Nothing. Just be honest. Nothing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the sin of respectable people is that they run away from responsibility. The sin of respectable people is that they run away from responsibility. I think um, most of us here are respectable people, right? We've been given this thing, and God says the thing we've been given makes us rich beyond our wildest imagination, and he says, what are you going to do with it? And we go, eh, nothing. You know Why? We don't feel rich. You feel rich? Raise, raise your hand if you feel rich. <laughs> One person. You, yeah, if you want to, you can. I appreciate your honesty. I, I don't. I don't feel rich. It's tough. It's tough to feel that way. I don't feel rich because, you know, I thought that my level of education was going to match up to my professional level, and it hasn't. And and that doesn't make me feel rich. And I don't feel rich because, um, you know, I thought I was going to be a writer. And instead, I, I'm a barista at some, you know, Starbucks somewhere. So I don't really feel rich. And I don't necessarily feel rich because, you know, I haven't gotten married yet. And when I, when I get married, that's when I'm going to feel rich. I'll feel better. And I don't really feel rich because, you know, now that I'm married, I don't have a family. I don't have kids yet. So I'm not at a place where I, I necessarily feel rich. I don't feel rich right now. I don't feel that way. I live in Brooklyn. Brooklyn does the opposite of make me feel rich. It takes from me. I don't feel rich. Right? That's how we feel about this. And you know why we don't feel rich? Because we like to compare. We are the kings and queens of comparison. We are, especially us New Yorkers, kings and queens of comparison. I was on the train like two days ago, and somebody was like, 
that guy gets to go on vacation every weekend. You know how many vacations I've been on this year? Four. I was like, did you hear yourself? (laughs) Do you hear yourself right now? It's because we compare. We love to compare. Oh, I'm at this job and it's sucking my soul dry. And look at so-and-so over there. They have a job where they're really making a difference. They're rich and I'm not rich. I mean, the obvious ones are like apartment and money, right? Look at that apartment. The elevators open up into the apartment. There's no door. They're rich. I'm not. We do this, don't we? Name it. We do it. That person was published. I'm not public. I'm not rich. That person got the job. I didn't get the job. I'm not rich. We do it with people. We compare people. We, we, we have people in our lives, and we compare the people that we have in our lives with people that others have in their lives. So <laughs> I remember when I was 20. I was 20 years old, and I was dating this girl in college. And she goes, I think you should grow a goatee. And I go, have you, I, have you seen me grow facial hair? I was like, it's all patchy. I, I can't grow a goatee. And in all seriousness, she goes, I think you should really try because I want you to reach your fullest potential. <laughs> I, said, yeah. I said, you just want me to look dumb. You know, like, what is that? What do I, I want you to reach your, how, how, you've heard this before. I just want you to reach your fullest potential. You've heard that, right? That's just a nice way of saying, hey, I saw somebody else who's better than you, and I want you to be like them because right now I'm not feeling really rich with you around. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what's going on. I know there's not a lot of us that have kids, but we do this with our kids. Somebody comes up to us. My kid, they they didn't make it into the gifted and talented program, and you're like, ah, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? But in your head, you're like, thank God. My kid wasn't, there there could be up here. My kid could be down here. I'm not rich. That's what we do. We compare, and here's what I'm going to tell you right now. There is zero win. There is no win in comparison. None. We are never going to feel rich if we're comparing all the time, if we're looking over our neighbor's fence, so to speak. Well, it's never going to happen to us. So, you know, we need to get to the heart of this parable then, right? Because the parable isn't about comparison necessarily, but it is about being rich, okay? If we look at the parable, we see that these three employees, right, they're all getting different, amount of, different amounts of money, but it doesn't speak to comparison. I think comparison is one of these things that we've taken with us along the way. So what does this parable really speak to? Let's really get to the heart of what it means to be rich, okay? Let's really get there. And I think to get there, we're going to have to read Matthew 24 through 26, okay? And it says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here it is. Here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. There is one thing that I see in this that separates the two employees that double their money from the person who hides theirs in the ground. There is one thing. You know what that one thing is? It's fear. It is fear. It is being afraid. We don't feel like we're rich. We're comparing ourselves to other people because we are afraid that what we have right now, today, right now, at this time, what if that's it? What if that is it? What if there's nothing else? What if this is what God has given us and what God has given us right now isn't what we expected and it's too hard and it's not good enough and it means that we're not the successful people we thought we were today. We are afraid to call ourselves rich because What if that's it? What if this is all we're going to have? 
It's a scary thought. It looks incredibly different than what we're used to having it look like. I mean, you, you know, uh, we, we don't want to use our gifts. We want to bury them in the ground because, again, back to the thing, I'm, I'm a barista, but I was supposed to be this person over here. So when I'm this person over here, that's when I'll start using my gifts and my talents to advance God's kingdom. You know what? I thought I was going to, you know, I went to school for 11 years, and my profession doesn't match my education. When my profession finally matches my education, that's when I'm going to use the talents that God has given me. That I'm going to advance God's kingdom. That's when it's going to happen. You know, Brooklyn, I just, I'm just passing through Brooklyn. I'm only here for a couple of years. I really want a yard and stuff. And so when I finally go to that place where I get the yard and everything, that's when I'm going to start using what God's given me. Because what I have right now isn't rich, but I'll be rich eventually. I'll get to that place eventually. I'll start doing what I'm doing when I get married. I'll start doing what I'm doing when I have kids. You, you name it. Well, I'm going to start, because right now I'm not rich. Right now what I have is not what, you know, it's not it. It's something else, and it's happening down this way. We're the kings and queens of that too. I'm this right now, but I'm going to be this later. We say that all the time. Well, I'm doing this one thing, but eventually I'm going to do something even better, and that's, that's when it's all going to work for me. And then you know what we do? We make that holy. We make that fear holy. We say things like, oh, my job, it's really hard. I don't like it right now. Maybe God wants me to go build houses in Cambodia. Maybe God wants me to do it. Oh, you know what? I'm, I miss my family, and, and it's tough not being close to my family. Maybe God wants me to move closer to my family. Maybe God wants me to do this. Maybe God, God doesn't want me to use what I have right now, what's going on right now. God, God wants me to go ahead and do something else, because this isn't what I expected. This is too hard. I'm going to go ahead and bury what I have right now on the ground. I'll wait a second on it. We do that. There's a woman whose blog I read, and to be completely fair, I do not know this woman at all. All right? So I might be making big assumptions. I might have this really wrong. All right? But I read her blog, and on her blog she said, you know, um, I love New York. Me and my family have lived here. um, But it's hard to have my kids in New York City, and we're eking out a living. Um, And then she wrote, like, you know, and my family's down south. And so this is what she wrote in her blog. She said, um... It was really evident because of all these things that God was calling us to leave this place. Our identity is in God and not this city. So we're moving to, and then she names where she's moving to. And again, I don't know this woman at all. She might be completely right in all this. But when she says that, I hear, wow, it just got hard. God's not calling you, it just got hard. That's it. So you say, God wants me to do something else. So God is going to give me different talents at a different time. What are we doing right now, right here with what we have? God gives us this thing that we have right here, right now, this time, this health, this profession, this education, this whatever it might be. We have it, okay? And yes, maybe it's not what we expected it would be. And maybe it's not the place where we thought it would be or how it would look or how it would operate. But God says, what you have right now makes you rich. You are rich beyond your wildest imagination. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? You know, um, Juby and I, uh, if you guys are new, we, this summer we accepted the senior pastor position here at Forefront. And if you don't know what that means, it's going to take like 17 minutes to tell you after church. It's, it's kind of long and convoluted. But anyway, we had to accept this new position, right? This was something that we did. You know what the hardest part for Juby and I was, my wife and I? The hardest part for us was... We sat down and we said, well, if we take this position, this is it. Like, we're not going to have anything else. We're not going to go anywhere else. We're not going to find another profession. We're not going to, like, dream about getting this place over here. We're not going to move to this big old city over here. This is it. 
if we say yes, then we have to do with what we have right now, right here, and make it happen and make it work. And that was scary. Because I think my default is to say, I'm going to go ahead and put something in a hole and I'm going to see what comes along later. What are we going to do with what we've been given today, right now? As a staff, we talked about this message and we were talking about you know, what it meant for each and every one of us. And I forget which staff member said it, but somebody in our meeting said, sometimes burying something has nothing to do with use or effectiveness, but has to do with washing your hands of what you've been given. And I don't remember who said it. <laughs> but I thought it was good. I was like, this is so good. I don't know who said it. It is good. In the same meeting that we had, another uh, member of our staff, his name is Ryan Phipps, who's our executive pastor, he said, you know what the risky thing is about this parable? You know how this parable works for me? He said, the riskiest thing I can do is go on a journey and see a river that I know I have to cross. And instead of crossing the river, actually stand in the middle of the river and just affect the current. So that's the riskiest thing for me to do. He said, what I want to do is I want to cross the river. I want to continue to the journey. I want to do the thing I have to do. He's like, what if I just stood in the middle of the river and affected the current? Is that the riskiest thing we could do right now? Today, right now, God has given you something and it might not look anything like what you thought it could look like and it might be totally different and it might be, in your eyes, a failure. And whatever that thing is, that failure, that frustration, that broken promise, the difficulty, the hard part, God says, that thing I'm giving you right now, that makes you rich. You are rich beyond your wildest imagination. What are we going to do with it right now, today? There's this woman... Her name is uh, Catherine Kagina, Catherine Kagina, and uh, she works at the Ugandan Revenue Department, which is the equivalent of Uganda's IRS. Okay, so she's at this Revenue Department, this IRS, and uh, she's a Christian woman, a woman who follows Jesus. And uh, the, this Revenue Department in Uganda is the was the most corrupt, was like the worst, you know, building. It was the worst people, like lowest morale, like just it was awful. And everybody said, get out of there. God's got something better for you. Get out of there. Don't, don't work at the Ugandan Revenue Department. And she said, not only am I going to work there, but she accepted the position to be the head of the Ugandan Revenue Department. And everybody was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Why would you stay in this job? She stays in the job. She has to fire a bunch of people. It becomes really difficult, right? She has to fire all these people because morale's really low and there's like some negativity. And so she's got to fire a bunch of people and she does it. And then she hires a bunch of people. She takes her time doing it. People with really, really high character. People who, who, who want this place to become better. And so she hires them. And, and what once had a terrible turnover rate where people were just leaving and leaving and leaving now became a place where people wanted to work. And this Ugandan revenue department actually started doing what it says it's supposed to do. It started collecting revenue instead of like having people put the money in their pockets. And Uganda started becoming a better nation because of it. They were able to use that money to improve the country and eventually this place became a place, uh, uh, went from being this place where there was low morale, high turnover, no profit, to a place that had like record revenue, good things happening, people wanted to stay. Because this woman was like, you know what, I'm not going to leave, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to sit in the middle of the river and I'm going to affect the current. What are we doing with what God has given us right here, right now? There's this couple that goes to our church. You, you guys should know them. They're called Henry and Joanne Howell. 
They don't, even, they don't even know that I'm talking about them right now. I didn't even ask. hope it's okay. Anyway, but, um, you know, when I sat down, we, we had dinner with them one night, and they told us their story, and it was like the early 90s. And they were just like, yeah, we decided that we were going to stay here. Like, we had all these dreams and ambitions of, like, doing all these different things, and then we just decided we were going to stay. And so they bought a house literally right around the corner on State Street, and they raised two kids there. And it's amazing to me. Because it hasn't been easy for them. It hasn't been an easy process or an easy transition, but they've decided this is what they're going to do. And our mindset is always like, well, I need to find something better. Let me look for that better thing. Let me look for that better place, that better city, that better job, the better whatever, so I can finally start uh, advancing the kingdom of God. What if we stopped? What if we stayed? What if we stood in the middle of the river and affected the current? What if we did that instead? Somebody came up to me last year, and uh, they they said, I love this church. This church is not perfect. And um, if you're here today for the first time, welcome. Our church is not perfect. (laughs) It isn't. And and this person said to me, they said, you know what? Um, I think when I first started coming and coming to the church, I was looking for a perfect church. I was looking for a perfect community. And what I realized is that it, this imperfect place was making a huge impact. And that might have been the best like encouragement, compliment, whatever I've ever received. That this imperfect church, we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, but this woman said, I'm committed to being in this imperfect place because I see that there are lives being changed. I see that there is literally a community being changed. I literally see people changing inside to out, and I want to be a part of it. So what if? What if we called this imperfect community to grow and what if we started making it grow together? What if we sat in the middle of the river and simply affected the current? What would we change? How would we change one another? You know, first century, this little church, right, that thinks Jesus is coming back in a month They hear this story and they have two options. They say, we can wait it out, we can sit over here and we can wait it out, or we can go and do something different. We can take what we have right now, we can take what we have right now, and we can advance God's kingdom with it. And 2,000 years later, there are billions of us here today because that happened, because they decided, you know what, we're not going to do this other thing, we're going to stand in the middle and we're going to affect the current. Let's do it. Let's, let's put aside our, 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 you know, our, our future in the sense that, you know, let's, let's not look for the next best thing or next biggest thing. Let's not call our failures failures. Let's not call our frustrations frustrations. Let's say that God has given that stuff to us right now, today, at this time. And because we have that stuff, God says that we are rich because of it. So let me ask you, what are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. God, um, you've given us so much, and I don't believe it. Um, most of the time, God, you know I think, that, um, I think that I need more, or I should be on the lookout for more, or there should be something else that happens, or I don't know. So show me grace, God, because I need it. I need it. And show me grace when I walk out this door and then compare myself to somebody outside. Give me grace when I say I'm going to wait for something else. And God, give me courage. Give all of us courage. Give us courage not to cross the river, but to stand in it. 
and to truly, truly advance your kingdom. And I pray this in your name. Amen.